welcome to the Six Again podcast, your new destination for all things NRL. Here to bring you everything from team news to best bets are your hosts, Adam Hoy and Jared Mutton. Let's kick off. Welcome into a slightly delayed but present Six Again our prelim wrap-up show. We're both here. We both got our collared shirts on because it is Dally M night. Um, we had planned to do this live while the Dally M's were going on, but circumstances change as they as they do in life. Uh, Jared's had to do some emergency late night plumbing works in the house. Um, oh yeah, it was fun. I can almost smell him from here. Only an hour <laughs> it apart. was it was bad. Um, drains completely blocked. Faucets broken. Leaking water. He's he's happy that Bunnings is open till 9pm. (laughs) He uh, had to go get some emergency gear from Bunnings. (laughs) We plan to start at 8. It's 8.50 Monday night. I don't think that's too bad. No, I think you got back back in time. So all the awards are done. So what we were going to do is do our um, opinions on who we'd give it to. But I think um, how they rolled out is pretty much how we do it, minus a, a couple of upsets according to us anyway, and we'll get to those. Um, we've got some, obviously we'll be doing a fair bit on the two prelim finals, two quite odd results overall um, with how the game's played out. Um, we've also got some finals news and how Brisbane is doing things a bit differently and how the grand final celebration has started this week and we'll continue to go through the whole week. So we'll give you updates on all those sort of events that are going on. And there's a couple of signings and rumours and all that sort of stuff, as always, and judiciary. And and I think that's pretty much everything. I'm going to guess there's nothing from Jared because he's looking at me about contemplating life. Oh, I I smell. I I really do smell right now. (laughs) This is going to be brilliant. Okay, so let's jump straight into it, eh? Um. One award that didn't get announced tonight is the Ken Stephen Medal. So this is the medal that is for outstanding community work, but the finalists were announced tonight. So this award is actually announced on grand final day and the winner gets $3,500 for the charity of their choice and $3,500 for themselves. And the final four are Jamal Fogarty, Ronaldo Molotalo, Ryan Madison and Cody Walker. And from our interview with the, with, um, Big T not long ago. Um, I'm pulling for Ronaldo to get this one. But the fact that there is these four and, and what they've done in their communities, we've talked about previously, and it's all up on NRL.com. So Cody Walker won his place in the, in the fan vote. And the other three were voted in uh, via a selection panel headed by ARL Commissioner Wayne Pierce, who was the inaugural Ken Stephen medalist in 88. So... This board, I just want to read out, it's a pretty decent board of people. So you've got Jamie Bura for Rugby League Player Association, Hannah Hollis as media, Alana Duggan, Clubs New South Wales, James Boland-Rudder, NRL executive, Jason King, NRL football representative, and Karen Murphy, NRL integrity representative. So it's all across the board. Um, so looking forward to seeing who the winner is on grand final day. And congratulations to those four and their clubs. Yeah, it's all for them. The players consider this the best award you can get. Um, so, and I think it deserves a bit more 
respect than it probably gets. I think that's why they announced it on grand final day. It's given that stage yeah. separate to the Dally Ends because the finalists are announced tonight. Yeah. Um, and from memory being there before, yeah, they do, do like the, the rundown on the big screen and all that. Yeah, I just wish they... I, I, I don't know how what they could do better, but I, I feel like there's more that can be done. Uh, and the media could do more of a push. I don't know. Um, but... A lot of these players, they don't even want the recognition, most of them. They just kind of just do it. I'm pretty sure that's what Big T said the other night. Mm-hmm. Um, not many people would even know what Renato Molotalo is doing half the time, but he's out in the middle of it all the time. Um, I'm pretty sure who was it? I'm pretty sure Connor Watson won it last year, and the Knights didn't even find out until about three weeks before the nominations were opened by every club that all the stuff he was doing. So most players That's actually brilliant. do this kind of shit off their, both, off their own bat. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. There should be more done on it. More more, more coverage on each individual player and stuff like that, I reckon, anyway. Well, there we go. All righty. Um, what are we going to go with? Dally M Wards get all that done while we're on awards and then we'll go into all the grand final week stuff, I reckon. Yeah, do that. Sweet. Okay, so... Um, the nominees have come out for each of the positions, obviously. Um, but before that, we'll do the captain of the year. Um, so James Tedesco took out that one for the Roosters. And the first thing he did was thank Trent Robinson and the help and the assistance that he's provided. And then also Boyd Cordner, the previous club captain who came up with them when they moved up to Queensland and helped him through the process because... I assume James Tedesco didn't go into this year planning to be captain of the Roosters, uh, let alone New South Wales as well. So uh, quite a deserving winner there. Um, Sam Walker took out Rookie of the Year. And in light of Reese Walsh's um, hiccup, we'll say, over the last day or so, he was already ineligible for this award. And not because of that, he did pick up two weeks' worth of suspensions this year, two separate one-week incidents. Once you pick up two weeks of suspensions, you're ineligible for the Rookie of the Year award anyway. So that's what he is ineligible for. So just in case you see a headline somewhere. And Coach of the Year went to Craig Bellamy. So we said last week, this was probably the award where you had the closest uh, cases for all five of the nominees. Uh, Trent Robinson, Hasler, Bennett, um, Bellamy and... I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. Cleary. Cleary. Thank you, Duh. Um, Thank Yeah, Craig Bellamy took that one out. I didn't hear the justification for that because I was watching um, the prelims again, just some um, points that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, it was quite funny watching it on mute because they showed all the highlights of the coaches through the year and uh, a couple of the Wayne Bennett dance moves in the Rabbitohs change rooms on mute. Uh, pretty, pretty good to watch, so... I really hope he didn't get it for Melbourne going as far as they did and winning 19 in a row without Cameron Smith. I really hope that wasn't fought off. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and have a look. Well, I'm sure that'll be a talking point on um, (laughs) the next episode. So before we do the players, the Rugby League Player Association uh, voted for their teams. This is literally just all the players voting on uh, each other and their team, uh, Trebojevic, Tuo. And Garrick on the wings, Olam and Manu in the centres, Walker, Cleary, 
uh, in the halves, Haas and Fisher Harris at prop, Brand Smith at uh, hooker, Zai Papalihi, Angus Crichton in second row, and Azayo at lock. Now, as it came down, that team only has one, two changes um, to the actual team that was voted on by the experts. And that is Joseph Manu was selected by the players at centre. Matt Burden actually took out one of the centre positions in the Dally M Awards. And Angus Crichton was voted bullshit. by the players in second row. And he did not get one. It was actually Viliami Kikau getting one along with Isaiah Papalihi. So I think with Jared and myself, sorry about the paper turning over, we were much more along the lines of the RLL, the Regular Player Association team. Um, I'd probably switch in, I think I said Crichton last week, actually, so I'll stick with that. But the other nominations for second row were Satili Topanua and Holomalu Olakatu, who I did put forward a nomination last week. So he had a cracking season for Manly. Um, so Tom Trebojevic, fullback of the year, yes? Yes. Cool. Um, wingers. I thought this was probably the only position where you had three... Um, three play, three players with legit chances. So you had Ruben Garrick setting the point scoring record uh, within a regular season, not just goal kicking, but also um, sorry, not just try scoring, but also goal kicking. You had Brian Tuo ripping teams to shreds with his running meters, getting his um, state of origin debut, and then I thought obviously Alex Johnson with his twenty eight tries. Uh, for the season and having to fill in at fullback for a couple of games here and there as well, had an outstanding season. So I thought any one of any two of those three, I was going to be pretty happy with uh, Jason Saab and Josh Adokar were the other two, two other players who had really good years uh, with a breakout year Adokar, another one of his awesome years in a row. Um, how are you feeling about the the two? Winning, oh, I'm happy. I'm winning happy. Toto got it. Winger winners. Um, I think he's the best. I think he is the most the best winger right now. Yeah, me too. Um, and Ruben Garrick. Well, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll call that just because of his point scoring. But I, I think Johnson and Garrick are the two that are most similar in that they're pure finishers. Yeah, um, I, I sorry. I don't think I don't car had his best year no. this year. Um, despite it, yeah, he, he's incredible, but I don't think he had his best year. Um yeah, I think Brian Tyrone, it, it was a toss between for the second spot, Ruben Garrick and um, Alex Johnson. I wouldn't have been, like, like you said, I wouldn't have been yeah. mad either way. And cool. So this is probably the biggest uh, sticking point it's for both of us, bullshit. I think. So for the centre <laughs> position, uh, we thought Olam and Manu are heads above everybody else. And we said Gagai had a really good season as well. Stephen Crichton and Matt Burton were the other two nominated. Matt Burton actually took out one of the awards and he did get 16 tries this year which is a high number for a center um but i think as an overall game an overall season as well um what joseph manu had to do in the centers um without some of the experienced players around him in the roosters and then switch to five eight fullback and back to center um, and not miss a step was outstanding and justin olam we talked about him already last episode. He's the most damaging ball running center. Uh, oh, and overall. defensive center. And defensive. He's, I'm not going to say he's lights out. There are 
still slight flaws in his game, but he's still learning how to play at this top level. You got to remember he's what second full season. Um, yeah. So this is this is the worst call tonight with the yeah, guys. Um, yeah, it, it, it's one the fact that Olam didn't actually originally get picked and then got put in as a was it a typo or a yeah. administration error and then and then turn around with Matt Burden winning it's just let's definitely hope it was a typo yeah. because if he was actually forgotten and went oh crap this is fever we better put him in that means Burton was selected ahead of him as well um and if someone else Manu or Gago had that other position they've been kicked out for Olam to come in which is even worse so yeah it's blatant but, it's it's, yeah, it's Burton crap. had a good year. I'm not saying he didn't. I, I, and I'm not having a go at Burton. Um, it's not his fault or choice that he got selected and voted yeah. for. Um, I just say that it's hard for me it, to see he having a better season than Manu and Gagos. For, for me, how, how, how I would pick this is if you had to pick the team right now, Burton wouldn't get a mention in the sense. Uh, props. <laughs> That's the easiest way to say it. Props, James yeah. Fisher, Harris, and Payne Haas. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm happy, whatever. So second rowers. Um Isaiah Papa. Wait, who's done your half? Oh, they did it in a weird order. Um okay. second rows were Isaiah Papalihi, which I think we both I agree. Uh, definitely agreed. Um and Billy Army Kickout got the other position. Bullshit. Yeah, no, I wasn't I wasn't real keen on that one. And um Satili Torpanua and I said Olakatu were the other two nominated. Uh Rugby League Player Association, like we said, chose Angus Crichton. I, I understand the appeal of Kickout, but what he brings to the game is still too infrequent. And at his age, I think he's 26 now. Um I would be expecting. So I thought Olakatu had a better overall season, maybe not the and, highlight yeah. real season. And that's someone that's a, a youngster, like a 20 year old. Um, I, yeah, I can I name about four second roles better than bit Kikai lucky this on this one, a bit of recency and finals bias, maybe. Um, yeah, I, I could pick a lot of second roles better than Kikau this year. Papali yeah. for one, Olakatu, Tupanua, um, Crichton. Um, there's, there's, I, I thought old Elliot Whitehead had a pretty solid year. He always stood head and shoulders above mm-hmm. every other in Canberra. Tohu Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, Didn't even get nominated. Yeah, there's, yeah this, this is just... Like, and again, it's the same thing. It's not on kick-out. He played, his, you know, he played a good game, a good, good season. But as I said, if season. you pick the squad, I would, I would pick a few people ahead of kick-out right now. Yeah. Um, uh, for the lock award, Isaiah Yo took that one out over Cam Murray, Trebojevic, and Fanukin. Um, the only ones who could get that are Cam Murray and Yo this year yeah, for me. I think so too. Uh, hooker was Brandon Smith. Um, easy. Easy decision there. 5'8", Cody Walker. Easy decision there. Um, halfback, Nathan Cleary. Adam, okay. Yes. Just so everyone knows, before this started, I was covered in shit. Adam, I get on the thing and Adam's sitting there and he didn't he barely even spoke. He's like, oh halfback's gonna pick 
Fuck, it'd be funny if Cherry got picked here right now. Oh, man. I, I was so here for the feedback that would have gotten. And then people were <laughs> yeah. like, that shit, that shit. And I would look at his stats. I mean, like, he had a pretty good year. He's not the yeah. not the best year, but a pretty damn good year. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it, it was Cleary and it, and it should be Cleary. Um, even if the prelim final, um, let's just say, wasn't a... What's the word I'm looking for? Wasn't a clinic by anyone. Um, he pulled out the big play that ended up defining the game with regards to the points being scored. So, what, bringing the ball in 10 meters? Yeah, that too. But uh, what's the word I was looking for? The kick for that try, um, the execution of that was brilliant. Yeah. So, I'm just having a look at the. I actually finally found a pretty decent stats page for NRL, which is quite rare. Um, having a look at tries, try assists. It's got like all the big stats and then all the small stats underneath. So Cleary pipped Cherry Evans by one for tries. Cherry Evans pipped Cleary by six for try assists. Obviously, uh, Cherry Evans doesn't goal kick. Um, runs, run meters are pretty, well, quite a big difference there, actually. I could be here all day looking at those. But anyway, yeah, no, deserving winner. Um, and yeah, we already said fullback now. So the only thing with regards to fullback, um, I really like that Will Kennedy got nominated. That was great recognition there. I've been pumping up Will Kennedy all year. I was, I'm not going to say surprised, but I'm disappointed that Ryan Pappenhauser was nominated ahead of Nico Hines because I honestly thought Nico Hines was a better fullback for Melbourne for longer periods of this year than Pappenhausen was. I don't know. I don't know. I think... <sighs> yeah, okay. The only justification I could see with that is that Nico Hines, I felt like they actually played better with him at fullback. They yes, attack looking a lot, a lot more fluent. Oh, I don't like it because I rate Pappenhausen so, and I love him. Oh, so do but, I. I just think this yeah. year, just specifically this year, um, Hines had a better um, fist of it at fullback than Pappenhausen did. And even though Pappenhausen had more tries um, overall, I think Pappenhausen's overall influence on the game when he was playing there was greater. And bringing the players in and around him um, I think he does a better job of that. He's a better ball player. He's a better, um, I think he engages the line more. His positioning's um, as sound. I think he's better defensively as well. But with regards to support play, backing up for tries, all that sort of stuff, uh, Pappenhausen gets him by a nose there. But that's the only other sort of um, asterisk I had. So they're the uh, Dalliem. Oh, sorry. And then Tom Trebojevic took out the overall Dalliem. Award with a round to spare. And he also wins the award for the most awkward on camera. Because every time it panned to him, he literally looked like he didn't know what to do, which is always hilarious because he's a very quiet person um, when he's in front of the camera. So there are Dally M's. Um, Cody Walker ended up second in that. And congratulations to Cody. Huge season. Um, isn't finished for him. Obviously with the grand final to come next week. Anything else on the awards or anything like that from you, Jared? No. Cool. Um, it, Tom, sorry, you go. Oh, sorry. The only thing I'd say, if anyone, 
See, we, we spent a better time on Matt Bird and Liliana Kicker. See, the thing about it is that it has to be picked some way. I don't know. I, to be honest, I'm not sure how they pick. We actually spent about half an hour before the podcast on Thursday night talking about what it would be before that disaster of a podcast when like seven people got on. But I'm not sure how it's picked, but it's got to, and no matter which way they pick it, there's always going to be a hole in their selection process. Mm. So it's, uh, I don't see how there's a better way at all. So they, they, they picked it, they stuck with it. It is what it is. We just got to deal with it. But I'd love to see people send in their ways of how they would do it differently. I like that. Because I don't, I I, I personally don't have any idea what it would be just because there's a million ways to select it. And like Adam, Adam loves his stats, right? I love more things that happen off the ball as a player. It's just, everyone has their, also their personal preference of what they prefer a player to be doing. And it just, it's, and that's the beauty and the biggest issue in rugby league right now is because there's so many different opinions of how every game should be played and what should happen there and individual players' efforts oh, and stuff like maybe that. Maybe they should bring in something like Corsi 4 percentage. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, it, it, it's impossible. It's a, no, I don't. It's impossible to come up with a, a way that everyone's going to come up um, thing. But, yeah, set, set, send in what everyone reckons that you should be picking your team off because it's a very hard process when there's so many quality players out there. And rugby league's pretty new to analytics and all that sort of stuff. So looking at it that way is going to be very, um, make a lot of people uncomfortable just due to the fact that they don't use it or understand or engage with it very much outside of tries, try assists, et cetera. Uh, for reference, Pussy 4 is like a player's overall impact on the game. So um Things like wins above replacement. If you took this player out or put this player into a side, how many wins would you expect more um, when they're in compared to less, all that sort of stuff. Um, the other awards, the Peter Fralingos headline moment. So this is the biggest media moment, went to the Melbourne Storm's 19-game winning streak. And Josh Morris won the Provence Summons medal. Um, and this is basically one for uh, sportsmanship and being a, a role model like player and he won that for the moment in the change room after his brother Brett had suffered a career and a knee injury and we all probably saw that footage um it was a very emotional moment that's the one that won the award there for Josh obviously he'd prefer I'd say not to win the award and for Brett's knee not to be injured but I guess I think they want that show. the right word yeah I don't think they want to come up and collect an award when they're back in that the worst moment in their life, really. That's fair. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk everything um, grand final. Not that, obviously, we've even wrapped up the prelims, but if you are in Brisbane, we want to get this sort of stuff out so you don't miss any of it. So um, Brisbane's going all out down in King George Square. They've turned it into King Wally Square uh, for today. So... They've projected uh, King Wally Square up onto the uh, City Hall. It's all red with his riding. They've done it also for the Rabbitohs. They're doing it for Penrith and they're doing it for the NRL Grand Final Trophy. It's a really cool interactive way to 
show off the teams that are in their grand final and Queensland's rugby league history. And they've turned, um, they turned into a grand final celebration week. Now, if you are in and around Brisbane, um, so Thursday, so from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and then Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., there's a whole bunch of fan activities all around that part of Brisbane. Um, they're doing like... All COVID safe. All COVID safe, yeah. So there's a bar on, there's um, a couple of different businesses <laughs> with food and... Family activities. Go to the Merchandise bar. sales, giveaways, NRL ball guest competition, NRL spin and win. Um, show your best flick pass. So they're doing a whole bunch of interactive activities. The players will actually be there Friday afternoon as well. So you can see them before the grand final weekend. Um, it's awesome. Brisbane, hopefully, and I say this as someone who'd love to see the grand final in Brisbane every now and then at least, um, probably the only time that they'll have it. They're pulling out all the stops. They're making a real fist of it. And um, it's brilliant. There's already pictures of what it looks like down there. And on top of that, they've announced the grand final uh, entertainment and they're not going lightly. Now, usually you've got one or two acts. Um, I think they're trying to fit in as much as they can. So the pregame entertainment, um, Kate Miller-Heidke, who's a Queensland homegrown singer. I'm pretty sure she's actually from Brisbane. Um, Ian Moss from Cold Chisel the Stafford brothers and Timmy Trumpet, as well as acclaimed didgeridoo player and composer Will Barton and a 40-piece orchestra will be there as part of the grand final entertainment. So a bit of something for everybody there. Either way, that's going to be a pretty decent show. Um, I can't remember if they've, the last one that had DJs. That should actually be pretty cool. I'll be down there. Have anyway, you so. seen the Stafford brothers play at a grand final item? Have I? Yes. Which one was that? I don't sucked. know, but they, they, they weren't inside. They were outside. Oh, okay. I yeah, think we, but we well, stopped and we watched them for a while. We'll, we, I'm pretty sure we'll half cut, but we'll yeah, see. We must have yeah, no, I would never remember that. I do remember um, Ashton Smashton Kutcher always being um, at freaking, oh, what's that bar? What's that backpackers we always stayed at? Canaries? No, not Canaries. Scary freaking. Canary. Scary yeah. Canary. Oh, dude. So much fun. So we've we've seen so much fun. Um, slash for about twenty seconds. We've you say seen Flash or Slash. Slash. Okay, cool. Um, we came out and played a, a solo for about twenty seconds. We, they paid him like thirty million dollars. Um, train. They, sorry. Was it Train? Yeah, we saw Train. Um, we also saw. Um, oh, we we we've been to like seven grand finals. They all mixed. Yeah, the best one I saw lot. was Living End, um, the 2008 Grand Final. They did an awesome show. Yeah, I, I so remember good. actually seeing Kelly Clarkson um, oh, for Bulldogs God. versus... Was it uh, Kelly Clarkson? No way. I yeah. Kel- you, no, no, you weren't at that one. It was one that you weren't, weren't at. Kieran was. Bulldogs versus uh, Rabbits. Was it Bulldogs versus... No, Rabbids? it was Warriors versus... Warriors versus... No, yeah, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, yeah, I saw Kelly Clarkson live, some guy from um, Cold Chisel as well. Um, yeah, I've seen, seen a lot of Dodgers. I remember one, we were just sitting there, just like, how well, the The 2015 that? one, that was, yeah, we were both at that one. Um, Ian Moss, Jimmy Barnes. Yeah, yeah, we saw that one, yeah. But yeah, there was one, 
Well, when we, we, we legitimately nearly fell asleep. It was really slow, melodious kind of music. And we're sitting there it's like, why would what you play fudge? that? Oh, fun? that was um, <laughs> yeah, James Blunt. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's like, oh, he's singing this really slow song. That was, was like, so bad. Two weeks earlier. And, would, and the whole stadium just kind of dropped their heads the whole time because it's, it was just depressing. Like, oh, you know, horrible. When they had Cold Chisel at Ian Moss and Old Mate, like the whole stadium was just rocking. And I'm pretty sure they were playing while the – because every year they do a retirees around. Yeah. And um, I, it might have been him, but I can't remember who it was. But when Nathan Hamas ran around for his final year, I'm pretty sure the whole the whole stadium just nearly like broke. It was massive, and they had the big music going. Oh, it was awesome! It was the best, best thing in the world. Let's hope that happens this year as well. Because still, yeah. What's your best memory of a live game? Oh, that's easy for me. It's completely selfish, but I was um, the 2008 grand final where Manly had already got the game in the bag and. Um, Menzies was on the bench and Steve Maddow hurt his neck or shoulder again and Menzies was actually running up the tunnel at that stage and the camera had panned to him and he was up the tunnel because Maddow was coming off and then it came back and Menzies was standing up behind the bench and he kind of looked up at the camera and kind of half hit a smile and the entire stadium was just going beaver beaver and he literally came on his first touch of the ball uh, he got out to Robinson, who then popped it back over the top, and Menzies scored a try in his final game for Manly. Um, I, I don't know. I think he that was pretty awesome. Been, I think he might have been. Um, to at, me, that just pips the 2015 grand final. No, see, mine was mine. That's a close second, but mine was. I'm pretty sure it might have been close to the first time I ever met you as well. 2008 World Cup final. Oh, Australia no. versus New Zealand. Were you there? It's horrible, yeah. Yeah, no, no. It, it was the game where Billy Slater threw the intercept. Yeah. But the best moment was when a, New Zealand were doing the haka and Australia mm. walked about 30 oh, centimetres yeah. away from them. Yeah. And I've never seen so much intensity in a in a stadium than that. Oh, moment. yeah. It was massive. That was and thick. It wasn't, it wasn't anger. It was just like, oh, we're on here kind of thing it was and i still get goosebumps watching it kieran and, and i, I cursed it. australia it just, sorry kieran and i cursed australia i swear because we we'd seen them that was our first time i think watching australia play and they lost and then we watched them in the tri-nations or the four nations they lost um both finals yeah, in new zealand it was I'm really like, funny I'm watch australia again i think i was like 14 or 15 at that point and i was watching it and Oh, before the game, I was having a chat with a few of the Kiwi boys, and they they didn't even expect to win because I'm pretty sure Australia beat them like 46 nil yeah. in the first game. We just ripped them apart, and then Wayne Bennett decided to help coach them, and it was just a massive story. And then oh, Billy Slater threw that intercept, and it was just I, I honestly get goosebumps thinking about. It. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, YouTube 2008 World Cup final Haka. And just watch what Australia do. It's just like... I remember watching that game, just sitting there. I'm not worried. I'm just waiting for Australia to click into gear with Slater and Smith and Kronk. And yeah. This, and it know, just didn't happen. It, it, but, yeah, it was just it was just epic. And the Kiwi boys, even the Kiwi supporters, even though they won, they were really cool. They're probably better 
than if Australia won who is Australian supporters. Oh, yeah. Because that was 100%. Love We're sore losers. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Back on to current footy stuff. So we'll do some signing stuff before we go to injuries and things. So it looks as though if Redcliffe get in, one of their, I guess not marquee players, the top three marquee players they're looking at, uh, Ponga, Monster and Grant, Monster, Monster and Grant, supposedly. But they're very interested in Reed Marnie and bringing him home to Queensland. So that's something to keep an eye on. And I think Parramatta are already looking at that because they're looking at possibly signing Mitch Rain um, to help solve that problem. So it could be a little bit of dominoes falling into place pretty early. So if you're a um, Titans, Parramatta, and maybe new expansion team fan, keep an eye out on those ones. Um, Blake Ferguson's talked about what he wants to do now. Uh, He wants to give... Rugby Union a crack, probably over in Japan, looking at uh, Michael Checker's team, the NEC Green Rockets. And he's aiming high, wanting to play for the Wallabies. So for a league convert in the backs, um, expect to see Ferguson and the Wallabies within a year. <laughs> he's probably already got a Wallabies contract on those. Which no, sucks, the Wallabies are starting to actually play all right. Going to see him on Saturday, which will be cool. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, my God. Now, suspensions, and I've got a... Do you have any money left at all? Grand oh, I've too, got, right? I, I owe so many people, but, um, yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Did you see <laughs> Stephen Crichton um, through a boot over the sideline during the game? Yeah, my missus pointed it out, and she started blowing up about it. I'm like, everyone does it. Relax. Uh-huh. Sorry. So that is a minor incident. Now, generally, minor incidents are paid with monetary fines. Okay. Though a third strike in two years typically removes that option. You're suspended for a week. So things like this, because it's bad sportsmanship, obviously taking a player out of play for no reason, it's a, deemed a minor. Now, that was Crichton's third one in two years. And technically, that should be, he should be suspended for next week. However, there was an amendment to that rule at the start of 2020 that's allowed players to receive an additional fine for minor incidents that happen in finals games. And this is literally, literally brought in um, after Sam Burgess missed a prelim final for pulling Rooster Center's Billy Smith's hair. Um, how many years ago that was. So if this was during the regular season, Stephen Crichton would actually be missing next week based on it being his third minor uh, within a two-year period because he served a one-game ban for kicking out at Cam Munster in round 21 and clashed with jo- Joseph Tarpney during that tri-celebration uh, in April. So, yeah, a little so, interesting wrinkle, another small uh, thing going Penrith's way, we'll say, and we'll get to a couple more later. So the Andrew Johns rule then? Sure. So it's a pretty hefty fine, two and a half grand at $3,300. Um, but... If you're wondering about that, that's the reason why. Now, yeah. I, anyway, let's go on to suspensions and injuries and all that sort of stuff. So charges going off the prelim finals. Um, Josh Alloway for Manly is going to be suspended for three weeks to start next season based on the lifting tackle in the Friday night game. Now, 
I was there live. We saw it on the big screen. I was like, yep, cool. Sinbin makes sense. My second, my, my query from then was why then was Damien Cook not Sinbin as well? Because it was only a few weeks ago, Daniel said that players running in to create the, a bigger issue than what is there will also be Sinbin due to what do they call? What do they um, call it? Being an instigator, basically. Um, Cook the, was the first one in. And there was no sin bin there. And that was the first sort of... Um, I was already at a point where I was like, oh, this is just one of those nights where nothing's going right. And I went, come on, just give us one little equaliser here. Um, yeah, something I noticed there. And then going back and watching it, going, yep. I would have expected Simbin there for the same sort of thing because they've been doing it earlier in the season, but obviously not tonight. Um, it was definitely yeah, an that, illegal that... tackle. Um, three weeks, I thought it's a bit harsh, but it's based on previous, previous. Um, charges. He would have risked a four-match ban if he challenged the de- uh, challenged the grade two charge, trying to get downgraded to a grade one. Um, chose not to risk that, so he's taking the early guilty plea and will miss three games to start the season. Yeah, look, that that third man in rule, that's been around for... That's been floating in the NRL, in and out of the NRL for yeah. 20 years. Like, that comes in and then they really struggle on it for about a month and then they forget about it and then a massive fight happens or a push and shove happens and then it happens again. Like, they jumping around there for a fair amount of time. Like, can't really say that it's a new rule anymore, really. No. And that's why I was surprised nothing occurred from it. Um, yeah, no, I, was, I was I was pissed off that night, but then going back and I was just looking at it disappointed and then I was like, well, what else did I expect? It's the NRL inconsistency. But anyway, so <laughs> LOI, um, three weeks. Harry Grant charged for a crusher tackle. Um, I thought he was a bit unlucky in this one because oh. he was holding up who was he tackling? Uh, Dylan Edwards, wasn't it? He was in a pretty yeah. good position and he'd taken Dylan Edwards one-on-one. I'm just watching the replay now. I watched it a couple of times before the show. He's turned around and he's holding him pretty clear. It wasn't until Kafusi came in as the second one in, which pushed on the back of Harry Grant. And the position he had Dylan Edwards in, it was kind of like Edwards' back was on Harry Grant's stomach and chest. And when Kafusi came from behind, it pushed Grant down onto Edwards, which made him bend, which ended up in a crusher tackle. Um, but I don't think that was Grant's uh, doing. I think it was more the impact that came from Kafusi. Uh, Grant was in a position where he could have rolled him onto the side to take him to ground. Um, so I think he's a bit, bit harshly done by there. Uh, it's going to be a one-week ban, but... It's still a ban and it still adds um, points on. So who knows what that could end up leading to next season. Yeah, I thought it was a bit rough at the time. And yeah, I, there's a few things about this game that I wasn't a fan of on both teams. So yeah, let's yeah. leave it at that. Now, one that I was already annoyed enough and then seeing Nathan Cleary was put on a report and that says has no case to answer after his placement report for a lifting tackle. Now this really pissed me off because I looked at this tackle and I looked at Alloy's tackle. The four weeks was due to loading. So it's a three week ban compared to a no week ban, a grade two compared to a no grade whatsoever. 
And I looked at the, the comparison between it. So a lifting tackle as defined by the NRL, um, a player will be put on a report and likely charged once an arm goes between the legs of an opponent and lifts them off the ground, which both, both Cleary and Alloy did. Um, both players were lifted above horizontal. Both players landed on their shoulder first and then head. Um, the difference, the only difference I could really see in it was when Cleary tackled Bromwich, it was more of a standing still motion. Whereas when Alloy tackled uh, Mark Nichols, there was a lot of momentum from Mark Nichols and that with the tackle flipped him higher and faster and he came down with more force. So I 100% thought Alloy's tackle was worse, but him three weeks, Cleary no weeks, there's too many similarities between those two tackles for Cleary to get no weeks or for Alloy to get three. Cleary was never going to get suspended. Of course he wasn't. If it was um, a center or someone else, 100%. But three weeks and no weeks, I have an issue with. If it was no weeks and one week, all right. If it was two weeks and zero weeks, I'd be annoyed but not pissed. Um, that's just total crap. Crap. It so is. And maybe they don't want a replay of the Cameron Smith sitting out of grand final. Um, it does, it, it's As I said earlier, it's the Andrew John's rule again. If you're a quality player, you do not get in trouble by the NRL. Yeah, it was. I was watching it. It's yeah, exactly the same. Yeah, um, I, like, I, I, to be honest, to be honest, like, I didn't get a case to answer for. But as, as Adam said, the year people being suspended for less. Yes, and that's exactly what it is. That people being suspended for less and. That's the issue people have with the judiciary is the inconsistency. Yeah. I personally so, don't have an issue with the tackle. I thought it was in control. I thought he landed shoulder and then head. I thought also uh, the Mark Nichols tackle, it was worse, but Nichols had the chance to also put his hand down, brace and hit shoulder first as well. I've an issue with that one because of the momentum, but what I had the issue with is the consistency of the judiciary because that tackle has been suspended all year. Um, yeah. All right. So with regards to injuries, there's no point in reading out this article because no one will actually miss the grand final despite what they actually write about. But you've got names like Fisher Harris, Moses Leota, um, Adam Reynolds under injury clouds, hundred percent Adam Reynolds to play hundred percent Fisher Harris to play. Mostly I didn't play last week because of his, Calf and he should return. Um, Brian Tuo, if he played last week, he'll play. Uh, the only one that may have some debt to be the pain guy with regards to medial uh, ligament damage in his knee, but that's what the offseason's for. Um, yeah, cool. I think that's everything. Yeah, that's everything. Um, are we talking Chris Walsh or what? Oh, we, yeah, Reese Walsh was caught with cocaine and faces disciplinary actions, as do two Storm players that were caught in a party film. Video on Instagram. No, video on Instagram. What? Looks like Brandon Smith and Why? I didn't see the other player. I don't Why want to spend people... time on it because they're idiots. And... No, well, one, why are they getting out the cameras? And the Reese Walsh situation, put your cameras away. 
Honestly, this this stop. Why? Filming they it, get man. they get attention because I oh, took the film. Yeah, I know. I thought you were taking the piss, Seb. Um, I was. Yeah, I just and to the guys doing it. There's too you much trouble to get into. If you if you really get into it, there's a lot of trouble you can get into. All I want to say is, you go on a certain Facebook page. There's a video of Reese Walsh, who's a very prominent NRL player, partying it's the same night. So take that as you want. Yes, that's Toby Rudolph, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. I think a more interesting story is that Payne Haas has changed manager and hasn't actually signed the 10-year deal, supposedly, that the Broncos put forward. And that number is now down to six years instead of 10. So well, there's a to, couple to be of honest, hurdles, a couple of hurdles maybe forming here um, no, I, before Payne I, I don't agree. I, I, think, I think he'll re-sign with them. But the reality of it is that in for his perspective, a 10-year contract's not worth it to him. That's true. How... how how is it like right now? If Tamalolo was on the on the chopping block for a a new deal, he could definitely get more money. Oh yeah, and I respect the fact that he's got security and this is a term business. Payne Haas in five, ten, sorry, two to three, four, five, six, however long, is going to be worth more and more. He's back in his ability to earn more money over that period. Like. Yeah. What is it? Tom Alolo's contract ends in still got four years left in it yeah. or something? Something like that. He's not he's getting underpaid at this point. Yeah. So it's just um if I'm paying yeah, us, if I'm going if the Broncos are giving me six years, I want my AAV to be 1.2, 1.3. Yeah, and so see, I can think about the money over that, the same period of time. Funnily enough, and first it was actually um Lambasted for this, and to be honest, at the same at the time of it, I was pissed off at him for this. But the what he asked for was, I want a percentage of the salary cap because salary cap's going to rise. And I think what that's the smartest thing a player could do this day and age, just because the new TD deals are coming in what every five years now, and his salary cap gets written every five years. So mm-hmm. why the hell not? And with the NRL finals ratings going through the roof, uh, especially the day game, um, hopefully the next day will be even bigger. Cool. How funny is it the ratings for the day game? Yes. How funny is it the ratings for the day game where people can actually have time to watch the game instead of having to put kids to bed at eight o'clock at night? Yeah. Like I'm going to be so disappointed. My future, my daughter won't be able to watch the footy too much because she's going to be so tired needing to go to bed. It's just stupid. Yep. Like, uh, I can't follow I can't the ratings. Follow th- and remember, this was only changed to not um, mess with the AFL. Mess with the AFL Grand Final, which was on on the weekend. Suppose I honestly forgot about it. But anyway, um, we'll be back with our wrap up of the prelim finals. Lots of talking points from both games. Uh, looking at the Rabbitohs and the Penrith victories. Cool. So Jared and I have actually had time to talk to each other about what we thought of each game. So this is going to be interesting as we go through it. So Friday night, we saw the Rabbitohs and the Seagulls do battle down at Suncorp. And I was at this game with my brothers and dad. Um, my youngest brother's a South supporter. 
we left the Sunshine Coast at four o'clock. This game was at seven fifty. Um, it's an it's hour delayed. twenty drive from where we went, where, where we left from. It took us two and a half hours to get there. Uh, we found out the Manly bus was held up as well, and the game was delayed by fifteen minutes to allow them a warm up. Um, I'm not going to say it really had an effect because when we look into the how the game went, um, Manly had three opportunities in the in the same starting uh, portion of the game that the Rabbitohs did. The difference is they didn't convert into points and the Rabbitohs did. So I don't think they missed the start of the game at all. Um, being there live, while Manly had less of the ball, when they had it in the south end, it felt like points were going to come pretty quick and Manly got across the line twice within a 10-minute period. Um, and we'll get to those. So I don't. I just want to get that out of the way. I don't think the disruption of getting there later or whatever had an effect. Um, so I'm not going to be using that as a whatever. Excuse? Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Um, Killer atmosphere for two teams who aren't the Broncos. I think it was like 27,000 people, uh, which is half capacity considering it was, uh, yeah, South and Manly playing. Um, they were giving out free merchandise, which was awesome to see. So they were giving out free uh, Manly flags um, down one end at the Manly supporter section where we were. And they were giving out free South flags. They're not crappy flags either. They're like nice flags. So I took two home, brought them home to the kids. Um, more of what the NRL should be doing. So I'm assuming it's NRL-based because both clubs were doing it. Uh, either way, whoever did it, um, great touch. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, all right. Souths, this is going to be a weird take because they were up 22 to nil at half time. I thought their second half was much better than their first half. And they scored 14 points in the second half, whereas Manly scored 16. But I thought South's second half is a style of footy they'll need to play in order to win the grand final, regardless, because we didn't know if it was going to be Melbourne or Penrith at that stage. Um, this due to two things, really. When they were down Manly's end, so when Souths were attacking, they didn't look like they were creating much at all. And their first try came from... Uh, a kick that bounced off um, three or four players uh, ended up being Cody Walker going across, picking it up and putting the ball down. I think it went off Trebojevic into Garrick, into a South player, back into a, someone on the ground was trying to grab it. Gagai pushed it backwards and Walker picked it up. So that you do that play five, five more times, you could have five different outcomes based on which way the ball bounced. Um, and that had come from the end of a set or two sets, really, where they were going sideways and Manly would contain them quite easily. The second one was when Damien Cook, uh, I think this was South's fourth try, got the bomb went up. Um, I think it was Cam Murray jumped up and knocked it backwards. I was like, that's a fine play. Damien Cook picked it. Morgan Parper had a chance to make a one-on-one -on -one tackle against Cook and literally slipped down off his ankles, allowed Cook to run through, grab a kick through onto the inside, great skill. Walker backing up as he always does, gets a double. And I looked at those two and then plus the two that Manly were disallowed, one for an obstruction 40 metres away from the try line, which black and white, it was an obstruction. Um, common sense had no effect on the try. 
And then Tom Trebojevic knocking on over the line, which is like a one in a 50 thing of happening. That's a lot of little things. And it, it being there, and we all know this from watching sport, you can tell pretty early on when you're like, okay, this is going to be our day where the ball bounces the right way. Um, you know, when it's not your day when the ball bounces the wrong way. I looked at that going, they made the most of their chances, which is what you need to do. But those chances aren't going to be there week to week. The second half, I felt South really earned all their points. Um, minus the two late tries that Manly scored while they were down and in. So that was kind of my read on the whole game um, very quickly. Um, trying to think of the other two tries were in the first half. Blake Taff had a killer game all round. Um, his cutout ball for Johnson's try, it was three on three. Uh, Cherry Evans, Harper were both matched up on their players. Jason Saab took half a step in and that was enough. Tough ripped it across the face, hit uh, Johnson. That was a really nice try. And like I said, that fourth try with Damian Cook's skill with the grubber off the inside of outside of his foot through to Cody Walker was really good to see as well. Um, anything from you in the first half? Yeah, I don't, I don't. I think you're you're right in the fact that a lot of those tries that South scored weren't going to be tries in a lot of situations, a lot of other games. Um, but you know what? They got them, and that's all that matters. Um, I think I'm not the yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not overly looking forward to this grand final with going on the efforts on the weekend. I don't, I honestly don't think these were the best games of the finals that happened. No, that no, yeah, like there was really solid games in this finals. And then there was what well, was dished up on the weekend. Like I would put the Parramatta Pebrith game ahead of a few others. Um, and this game, why we probably could have been built a bit better. Um, I don't think both teams put their best foot forward. No, definitely not. And that, that, that was that. And take that as you will with the, how the game was scored um, with such a massive difference. But I really don't see – I really hope both teams who play on Saturday bring their better effort than they brought on the weekend. Um, I didn't yeah, – I wasn't 100%. overly interested in this – game. this game kind of – I was sitting there. I think I went to sleep at one point just because, as Adam said, like the first two tries bounced everywhere and – Sorry, the second one was just a massive amount of skill by Damien Cook. And no, that was their fourth. I'm trying to see, I can't remember oh, where, the second one. Where, where, where you need to be for the Cody Walker one. Like he, he called it right. That was great. Yeah. Um, and then, as Adam said, like the Travoyevich one, the one in the wing on the other end. And if they get awarded, it's a completely different ball game. Yeah. And I know Adam's trying not to make excuses about them being late, but for for these athletes, their preparation is down to the minute on how they do things. Yeah, I, I know that. So, so, but so, but like, it's not like you know, a couple of years ago when me and Adam were playing together, we rocked up to Gavulcha and we were sitting in the change room with eleven players. 
we're five minutes before the start of the game and I'm pretty sure we all went out drinking the night before. No preparation was involved. I'm pretty sure we won. Um, but... Because we're elite. These, no, that's, that's, yeah, the, these guys... Like, if you, if you listen to them for how they prepare, like Dale Finucane, for example, I know he wasn't playing, but Dale Finucane, for example, has to put his left left sock on, mm, yeah, his I right guess. sock on, that, that kind of stuff. Like, that's how they do it. And they have to get there a certain amount of time. He reckons he has to watch, like, 25 and a half minutes of South Park or some shit. Like, I don't know if he's taking a bit, but they reckon he's the most... Um, what's it? Pre, pre-performance routine, superstition. Yeah, he, he, they have that. There's this... Um, I can't remember what it's called. Superstitions about a game. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, they do something. And like Ryan Pappenhausen will actually every time he scores a try, if you watch him, he'll touch the um, mm. it will touch the um, goalpost pad every yeah. time. You go tap it. So stuff like that, you see that, and you're like, oh, okay. Um, so I, then, I would I'd support that if a couple of things had happened. One, the time that they lost was extended. So yes, they got but... the extra. They got the full warm up time. They weren't rushed. They had time for to do everything they would usually, and the two that were disallowed by Manly, um, an obstruction forty meters away from the line, Olakatu, sorry, not Olakatu, um, Suli, he ran his line fine. He. Did he make contact with Reynolds? Yeah. Did Reynolds put an act on? Yeah. Um, that happens every week, though. I don't think that comes down to anything being off. And then the Trebojevich, when he had four people tackling him, um, he could have passed the ball to Saab, who was unmarked. It was a very... But in saying that, it's Trebojevich. I'd back him to score that try every time. It was the effort of four players that dislodged the ball. So I don't think that but- they weren't mistakes based on... Anything no, but the see, see, the thing about it is that you, you're focusing on the big things. Um, and look, I'm, I'm not saying this is the reason they lost, but I'm saying mental preparation for professional athletes is huge. So their drop ball in the first 20 minutes, their defensive, some of their defensive lapses weren't, wasn't flash. Um, and they're the big, big moments that everyone remembers. But if you turn it on, on its head, it's the little moments in a finals game that matter. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because Manly actually defended better than South, which is odd. Yeah, their defense was really good, line. but you, when 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 you're late like you are, like those players were, like these blokes are never late. Um, they they their clubs plan them to get them there with enough time for them to do everything. Mm. Um, so when when something like that happens, you're like, okay, emotional stuff happening. Um, you know, before you play semi-final, you're obviously emotional, determined, yada, 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 overthinking everything. And then you get to the, the thing and you're sitting in the bus watching this fucking, some idiot crash or something like that on mm. the highway, which happens all the time. And then, you know, you're sitting there, you know, you, you're peeking a little bit, oh, do I put my socks on now kind of thing. And then you get back into the stadium and you go, oh shit, I've got to rush. Because if you watch them, because I watched a video of them when they came off the bus. They were rushed. They were super, super rushed. And then they watched them in the warm-up. They didn't do anything different to what they did yeah, yeah, yeah. But, a matter of few weeks then, ago. But then, sorry. And, and then you get out there and then you're like, okay, they rushed off the bus. And then they're like, oh, we have more time. Let's try and calm down and jump it on it again. And then that's all a lot of emotional shit you're going through. 
and then and you get onto the field, do all that stuff. You start the first kickoff, and then you feel you start to feel comfortable about how you're defending. Your tactics are working, but you can always you can just feel that something's off. Something's off. It's not right. And then um, see, I score that try through Cody Walker, the bounce, the, the the pinball try. Let's call it like that. And you're like, oh shit, that's just unlucky. Let's yeah. regear, regear. Let's go again. And then the obstruction called, okay, sweet. We made it over the line, but we got the light disallowed. That's fine. Move it, move forward. And then two other tries. And then Travoyevich dropped the ball. You're like, at that point, you're like, you're yeah, 14 nil. And you're like, fuck, okay. We've got over the line twice. We've been disallowed twice. And it, it kind of feels like um, quicksand. Yeah, no, that's and, when I started feeling. I know what you're saying now. Because yeah, it just. Yeah, so, and, and that's. I know it's it's a weak opinion, but anyone who's sitting there to me going, fuck, you, you're an idiot. They can't, professional athletes need to adapt to stuff like that. I really want you to sit there and try and imagine everything these blokes are going through. And you know what? Players like Cherry Evans, players like both Trojovic brothers, players like Dylan Walker, Kieran Foran, the senior players, they would have been like, you know what? We'll just take this in our stride because this is, this shit, I've been doing this for 12 years. I know what's up. Players like Olakatu, players like Josh Schuster, Sean Kepi, Morgan Harper, Jason Saab, Ruby Garrick, those, you know, those 18 month to two year mm. players who are just in the squad, who are finally starting to feel comfortable in the NRL, then something like this goes wrong. I really want you to put them yourself in their shoes as to them going, you know what? I'm just going to do what I normally do. Then bang, something happens. Then bang, something happens. Then bang, something happens. And you're just trying to fight against everything going against you. As I said, it's not an excuse. I just think it's a, it's, it's a reason. It's an explanation. Uh, as to, yeah, it's an explanation as to how they would have been feeling. And honestly, think about something that you're super nervous for because this is, this is legitimately what they're paid to do. Mm. I want you to... And, and anyone, everyone listening, I want you to think about something that you're paid to do and you're used to doing it every day of the week, but it's, it matters now. Everything that you do matters now. And then times that by a hundred because they're playing a preliminary yeah. final with a million people watching it. And then, yeah, it's just, it, it, it would be hard. And I understand if someone came out and goes, you know what? It was fucking hard. I don't blame, I, it is what it is. And then I think the scoreboard reflects that because I honestly don't think where the two teams are at, that is a true reflection 100% of not. the difference between the two teams. And it's obviously, like I said, it's not the reason, but you, you can tell something was different about Manly. And I don't blame them for feeling that way. It's a big deal. If, um, I really like um, parts of that explanation. I think... I 100% agree with you with regards to the mental application and, and all that sort of stuff as part of it. And I felt it being there in that it was funny going at half time. I'm sitting with Kieran, uh, who's been on here, the Titans fan. He's looking at me and I'm listening to the people around me and they're like, oh, fuck, this is horrible. And half time comes, a siren goes on. All the South people over there stand up, they're waving their flags. I stand up, I'm waving my manly flag. I turn around, everyone's just sitting there, glum faces. I'm like, Guys, we're playing all right. We've had 30% possession. We've been over the line twice. Jason Saab got tackled out four metres from the line. Oh, we'll be fine. We'll, went off his tits for that one. He did. I'm like, we'll score a try early in the second half and start bringing it back. 
Um, we scored a try six minutes into the second half. Easy as Josh Schuster with the no-look pass um, showed the class. And I was like, oh, here we go. And then we knocked on and it all started again. Um, another part of it in the first half, Reynolds put up a horrible kick and it was drifting towards the sideline and bounced in by about 15 centimetres. I went, yeah, okay, it's one of those nights. If Jaron's kicked that, that's going out in the full. Um, but looking at overall, this is why... This is why I think South's second half was better because overall um, at halftime, the possession was 65-35, ended up being 57-43. So they had a hell of a lot more possession. Completion rate for South was 77%, which isn't going to win your grand final. Uh, Manly's was 67. So both pretty bad. Um, South dominated with regards to runs, run meters and post-contact meters. But Manly had more line breaks and tackle breaks. So if you're dominating all runs, so 230 runs to 150, that's 80 more runs. Um, you're doing a hell of a lot less tackling. Um, your tackling should be better. Now, you go down to defense, effective tackle, 87.9, 87.8. The defense was exactly the same with guys of efficiency. Manly made 50 more tackles that had less missed tackles than South did. So that to me as a coach would be concerning uh, in that I made, my team made 50 less tackles than the other team that I had 34 missed tackles. Uh, that's not gonna cut it. The big difference came down to the negative play, 17 errors by Manly uh, to 11 by South, which still isn't good. Four penalties conceded by Manly, one by South. Four ruck infringements by Manly, three by South. Um, on report, the LOI and the Sinbin. Um, put into effect, Sean Kepi was out early. Now, this is why fuck, Ashley Klein is so bad. Like, this happened down the other end of the field. We could see it, and we're 80 metres away. Kepi was out. Like, he hit. He was stumbling straight back through the ruck. There's no freaking way Ash Klein didn't see it. He played the entire set before um, he allowed the Manly trainer to call time off. For a head injury, the ref's allowed to call time off, and he so should have at that stage because the rule where to give the attacking team advantage is for things like sprained ankles, broken wrists, that sort of stuff. A head injury where he's stumbling around the middle of the field is a safety concern for that player um, and anyone running into him. That's poor refereeing. South didn't score off it. Um, if they had, this would have been blown up even bigger, but that should have been stopped because Kepi um, initially supposedly passed the HIA. No, sorry, this, that was the other one. He was ruled out for the rest of the game. Um, yeah, yeah, I mentioned the tough try. That was awesome. Um, and you mentioned DCE, Trevojevich, Walker. This is probably like their worst game, all three of them, in quite a while. I think because of what was going on, Sheridan's was trying too hard. And when he does that, he plays worse. He needed to relax. Kieran Foran played a lot better, uh, I thought, throughout the game, apart from one poor defensive read in the second half, which led to a try. But, yeah, you, you play this same first half through a few times. There's a bunch of different score lines I think that could have occurred um tonight's so I went to the Rabbitohs they were good enough to take their chances 
Seagulls provided them with the chances because when they did get the ball, they weren't good coming out of their own half. When they got in South's half, they were fine. Things were clicking. And you saw that pretty early in the second half. Um, second half, Turbo had a misread on a ball. He should have held. He passed it instead. Put Harper on a lot of pressure. And then Benji Marshall comes on. I called last week in our preview. I thought the two 14s would decide the game. Marshall got one try assist, but this was the key try to me in the whole game because Manly started the second half better. They got on the scoreboard. They were looking good. Um, Turbo made a bad pass. On that next set, Marshall got the ball out on the right, sucked Kieran Foran in. Um, Suli and uh, Garrick stayed on their men. That created the space that Marshall, he skipped into it, put Graham over, and that was pretty much the end of the game. His impact compared to Walker got on and tried hard, as he has done, but he didn't have the impact. Um, Marshall had his hand in just that one, really, um, but that pretty much was the, the end of the game. Aloi got, uh, got Simbind, and then Moses Suli controlled the last 10 minutes pretty much by himself. Um, one off another awesome yeah. pass off Schuster and another one. Um, from a wide ball from foreign. And I think that is the blueprint that Penrith will be looking at. Shift early ball out wide and Momorowski. Um, Burton to try and get on the outside of their opposing centres because at this stage, Manly were down a player. They had three line breaks in a six-minute period. Um, two where Suli um, was given the ball early and... One broke two tackles. That's the second one. The first one broke one tackle. And the first one, they shifted the ball to Garrick. So that would be concerning again um, from a South point of view. Uh, kind of wish it had happened earlier because Sully ended up with, what was it, 16 runs for 195 metres, two tackle breaks, a line break, assist, two try assists, and seven tackle breaks. That's a pretty busy night for a centre. And um, top manly for run meters outside of Ruben Garrick's 222. So, yeah. So, yeah. I actually want to go back to what you were saying earlier about Ashley Klein, the Sean Kepi thing. I feel really bad for him for what's happened in the last couple of weeks. So, he was the referee in the Pembroke game last week, Pembroke Parramatta game. Mm. And he just got absolutely ripped apart for stopping the game when the um when the, the players went down. Remember the player no the, the the water boy called it. Yeah. Trainer called it. He got absolutely destroyed for doing the right thing. I don't think he this did. Is, what? No, we'll get up the trainer and that for yeah, no, but Ashley Klein got absolutely destroyed for what he did. He did. He, he got ripped apart. So this game, he comes in and he goes, you know what? I'm going to make it a free-flowing game, which all everyone goes, you got to make this game free-flowing yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It's, it, and you know what? For me, I think he done the wrong thing as a player safety point of view because Sean Kepi was definitely out of it. You can see that. But... On the other hand, last week he gets ripped apart. Sean Kepi was behind the play in this one, and he tried 
to do the thing that he got ripped up, you know, got in trouble mm. for. What everyone should everyone told him last week to leave to play, and this week they're telling him why didn't you stop it? So I think two weeks ago he stops this game easily. Every day he stops it. But because what happened to him last week where he listened to the trainer and then got absolutely destroyed for it, I think that's the reason he let it go, just to continue onward because the momentum shift. Um, if you watch Channel 9, listen to Andrew mm. Johns about game stoppage. He's horrible for it. He doesn't care about player safety. And you know what? My priority is player safety. As I said, he should have stopped the game for this. But the reason he let it go, I believe, was because he got ripped apart the week before. And this is the issue in rugby league that, and I, I honestly believe this, the referees cannot win in any situation. Mm, true. They're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. And it's horrible, horrible attitude that needs to go away in rugby league because you've got players, or ex-players like Andrew Johns, absolutely ripping the referees on a commentary that's going towards millions and millions mm. of people at the same time and that and because of that people believe oh we'll, we'll, we'll it's fine if we do it it's fine the greatest player ever does it yeah that's a good um, point and this poor guy and poor guy he 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 tried to let the game flow because technically it's the exact same situation sean kepi was behind the play he was moving towards the play but he was behind it and the other team south sydney had momentum and he's probably thinking, oh, fuck, I should stop this. But, you know, they've got momentum. We've got to let them play. So, as I said, it was wrong for him to let the game continue, but I understand why he did. And I feel bad for him that he felt he had to. And it's just a bad... I think it's more on... Sorry. <laughs> more on mm-hmm. the rugby league wider society than what mm-hmm. it is for him. I really do believe that. So the wrap-up of that one, uh, Railroads are through to the grand final. Uh, Blake Taft becomes the youngest player, so the least experienced player in history to make it to a grand final. Um, Took over the goal-kicking duties as well due to Adam Reynolds' leg injury and kicked pretty well. Had a ripper of a game, actually, Taft. A couple of try assists off really good hands. So exciting to watch him next week. I'm just hoping... I'll talk about it next week. Yeah, uh, this wasn't yeah. anywhere near Rabbitoh's best performance that they've done over the last few weeks. Their performance against Penrith to win the first week was much more impressive than this one, despite the difference in score. Um, and now yeah, I, don't, I don't think I really have anything else with regards to uh, player performances. Cam Murray was outstanding. That was one of the best games he's had. Um in the last few weeks, I, I believe. Yeah, they'll be taking on Penrith Panthers, who must have been Steve's um, unwavering justification on why they win. Um, yeah, I, well, I, I, I couldn't this, believe this. this. I still, I'm this, still looking at it, going, God, this game annoys me because every, I, I, I don't see how it was good. No, like. As Adam said, I think it was Manly. He, he sat the whole time going, oh, sorry, when we're talking about Australia versus New Zealand in the World Cup, I was sitting there the whole time going, when, when are Melbourne going to play footy? Yeah. Like this, when are Penrith going to play footy? Like, if... if Someone play footy. 
Yeah, I know. If man, if Melbourne played the way the way they played against Manly two weeks ago, they would have put thirty points on this Penrith team today mm-hmm. easily. And the like, same they, the other they, way around, honestly. Yeah, well that that's that's so wrong either. It's just everyone's pumping up this game. This game, I'm going to bring the stats up again. Oh, it's can I just before you start with this one? When we say, sorry, not when we say, the commentary around this. Mick Ennis said this is one of the best. This and the Parramatta Penrith game are two of the best games he's seen in recent years. Now, I think he needed to clarify his comments a bit better than that because where I've fallen on this is it was an exciting game because both teams were so bad that you were waiting for just which team was going to start being less shit than the other team. And because there were so many mistakes, the ball kept changing sides. Um, it meant the game went end-to-end because neither team could get into any sort of rhythm. Um, Quality-wise, this looked like last versus second last because there was balls dropped everywhere. The The best part of this, the highest quality part of this was literally the defence. No, the highest both... quality part was literally Nathan Clear having the balls to do what he did at a dummy half and kick oh, yeah. Stephen Crotter. But, I mean, like, that there, was there the was only... A, there was a couple... Of, when I say defence, I don't mean... Your typical ten meters up and blah blah defense, like the try saving tackle on Olam, um, with two of two of the Penrith players stopping him, like literally thirty centimeters from the line. Same happened to Jerome Hughes. Um, Melbourne did it a couple of times to Penrith as well. Like the the last gasp try saving defense was brilliant. The rest of it, oh boy, um, yeah, I again. That had the two of the best teams all year. Melbourne um, had, uh, what is it, 40, 42 missed tackles. That's ridiculous. Pembroke had 48 missed tackles. Melbourne had 16 errors and 12 to um, Pembroke. So what I expected out of this game was... a. Uh, Completion rate between 88 to 92% for both teams. It was a dry track on the at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon where I was two hours north of it and it was like 32 degrees. That was perfect. So I'm guessing it was it wasn't raining, let's put it that way. It wasn't windy. Um there was it, it, it was like it was like they hyped themselves up so much for it. They didn't realize it was happening while it was happening. Like they were just like, oh, like they didn't, they didn't play with any conviction. Both teams, I don't believe. Like, yes, there was big hits, but there was no in their set plays. There was no, what's the word? There's no. Um, they didn't gel. Determination no in their sex plays. No. There's no confidence in their sex plays. There's no. They're just running through their set plays as if it's a Sunday afternoon training run. Sorry, Saturday afternoon training run. And Jared definitely was, said it's... set plays there, not sex plays. If you run through your sex plays on a Sunday afternoon and they're ineffective, um, maybe switch the timing up. Okay. Um, yeah, and it was just... It, it, it really annoyed me because I, I had such high hopes for this game that it was... A, and you know what? 20 minutes to go, I think it was when... Um, Melbourne scored their try. 
I was sitting there and I told my missus once Melbourne at school because they're super tired. But once Melbourne school, they'll they'll pick up and start playing like Melbourne. I was expecting mm. them to come out. Yeah, so was I. Two two to three tries straight after they scored because that's what Melbourne do. I think the last play of the game where the ball fell on the floor about three times in one set. I think that kind of summed up the entire game because it was horrible. It was yeah. really bad. Like there was, there was like even the kicking game wasn't good. It was landing on the full so often. I think Cleary's was a lot better than the other uh, Melbourne team. But I just, oh, yeah. I, I I was really disappointed about the quality of both games this this weekend, and I really hope for that reason South and Pembroke are going to put their best game ever this weekend because I I had such high expectations out of these two games. I was really it, it done my I was very disappointed. And it's really weird when you look. And this is where the eye test and the stat test differ because watching this game compared to the first game, the defense was just it seemed invisible. But you look at the effective tackle percentage, 85 and 85, or 85 and 86. Compared to Rabbitohs and Seagulls, 88 and 88. So it's only 3% difference. But overall, the tackles made per team were much higher. So there was an extra, what's that, 30, there was an extra 80 tackles made. Um, out of those extra 80 tackles, you had 90 overall of all the tackles being missed and over 30 of them being ineffective. So there were more tackles being attempted, which led to more being missed. Um, kick diffuser, like Jared said, 50% and 55%, meaning that balls were hitting the ground. They weren't getting to them on the full. Uh, they were being dropped or knocked on. It was an absolute shit show, which made for really entertaining, into exciting, tense moments. And I was like, Jared, just sitting there waiting, waiting for the storm to do something, waiting. And it's honestly not like Penrith were putting them under a hell of a lot of pressure. There was some up and in defense now and then from both sides, but none of it lasted and shouldn't have been enough to really rattle each other. I think it got to the point where Storm were looking at the clock going, crap, we're kind of running out of time. Add, add on that they lost Christian Welch within five minutes. Um, probably the key player, the key forward from their team that just tucks the ball and runs for metres to settle things down through the middle of the field. And, and then Brendan Smith, uh, losing him for the, for the rest of the game. Obviously, Harry Grant comes on. But when Brendan Smith shifts to prop or lock, he's very similar to Welch in that he just tucks the ball and runs. And he had two of the hardest running, forward running members of the Storm missing. And I don't know whether it was shifting the ball sideways too quickly. Um, but yeah, they just looked flustered, like a 69% completion rate and a 77% completion rate between the two sides. Um, it was still See, a, lot, a lot of people say game, but it just, I don't know. A lot of people say, um, oh, Pembroke did that to them. How many teams this year? Yeah, how many teams this year have done exactly what Pembroke did to Melbourne in this game? And Melbourne found just, a way. I've just thrown them. They, 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 
Manly did it in the first round of the finals. Yeah. Look what happened. It's, it's just, it's just, um, it comes down to, this is not disrespectful to Pepper because hard reality is on Saturday, he put everything fair in the world. Melbourne and Pembroke should have been playing in grand final. That should have been the grand final because they won. Pembroke's been the, probably the top team for the last two years with the amount of games they've won. Melbourne are definitely a, definitely a shave lower than them, in my opinion. But, and they, Pembroke deserved to be in this grand final. I'm not taking anything away from them. They won in the shittest way possible, but they won. And that's the truth of it. But I just think Melbourne let them. Mel- Melbourne could have won that quite easily if they if their heads were on straight. And that's the disappointing thing for me because, as I said, it should have been a grand final and I was expecting a more quality game. And it wasn't quality. I don't care what anyone says. It was not a quality game. I don't care if the media pubs is one of the best games ever. I, I have seen better um, regular season games that mean nothing than that game. Now, I'm comparing Manly of week one to Penrith of this week. Um, so this is when Manly got pumped 40 to 12 by Melbourne. Now, the completion rate, Manly 72, Penrith 77. So slightly better completion rate overall. Um, in saying that, Penrith had a hell of a lot more ball in this game than Manly had. And looking down here with regards to 100% kick defusal by Manly, effective tackle, uh, 86% compared to 85 and a half. So pretty similar there. Uh, missed tackles, 36 by Manly, 48 by Penrith in this one. Ineffective tackles, 15 by Manly, 17 by Penrith. Um, Penrith made more errors than Manly. They conceded less penalties. But the point of it is, you look at all the negative play stats and the defence stats, they're pretty much the same. In the two games, Storm put 40 points on Manly. They put six on Penrith, despite having just as many chances. Now... Manly didn't do anything to disrupt the storm. I don't think Penrith did anything to disrupt the storm. This was literally all on both teams having horrible games and it was just a shit fight as to who was going to win. And Nathan Cleary had the sole key moment of this game, which was something they talked about um, after the game, something that they noticed with the storm that Josh Adokar comes in early to defend during sets and relies on his speed to be able to cover. Um, one thing that his speed can't cover is how fast the ball travels. And Cleary saw the opportunity, got into dummy half, did a pinpoint kick across the field to Stephen Crichton. Easiest try in the world. It was brilliant to watch. Uh, you could see that he recognised it was on, um, made his way to dummy half. And as a defence, if you see Cleary run up to dummy half, you know something's going to be on, but you're honestly not expecting that. Um, well, you wouldn't expect the ball to go out in a wing if Cleary's at dummy half. No, that's what I mean. You know, he's probably going to, there's something going to happen because Coruscant wasn't out of the picture and Cleary made the made it his mission to get there. And especially that close to the try line, it's hard to predict what the hell is going to happen. Um, 
Yeah, I, I actually have a lot of respect for Cleary in this game, just yeah. because of what he did in the Brian Tyro conversion. As yeah. a guy who used to kick conversions, I have so much respect for that because you will try that every time. That. It's the referee's fault that he let it go. And good on Cleary. The only disappointing thing is the dumb shit missed. Yeah. Um, if he'd got that in. <laughs> that's like... That's- Oh man, it's it's, equi- it's equivalent of Parramatta cheating the salary cap and still getting the wooden spoon. That's what that was equivalent of. That's brilliant. Amazing, <laughs> miss Brian Two scored pretty much uh, on the chalk, on the chalk, and um, Cleary moved the ball in like fifteen meters infield <laughs> uh, to take the shot uh, for conversion and missed anyway. Um, what else have I got here? So, oh. Another thing I think the NRL is going to look at. So Liam Martin started the game, got a little slap across the chin, nothing big in it, played it up, uh, ended up getting a penalty. And Jerome Hughes, I think, got put on report for it. Obviously, had nothing to answer to. We did the judiciary earlier. Anyway, Liam Martin went off for a HIA. And because Jerome Hughes had been put on report, it gave Penrith a free interchange. So they brought kick out on nine minutes into the game and didn't cost him an interchange. That's Absolutely. something the NRL, ha- yeah, I know. It's something the NRL will have to look at uh, because obviously that was blatant gamesmanship, saying we're getting a free interchange out of this. Let's go pretend we're doing a HIA. Every uh, team does it. I know. I'm. I'm just saying it still rearing its head in the finals and nothing. It's just a bad look. Um, Brent Smith, twenty-four minutes, uh, and then yeah, when Jerome Hughes kicked out on the full. Put the team back under pressure. I was just like, it's, it kind of reminded me of Manly the night before. But in saying that, I was going, oh well, which team is going to pull this off? Because I was like, oh six nil. As soon as Melbourne scores, this when when Pappenhausen scored in the 67, 62nd minute to make it ten four, I went, oh this game's over. In that, I thought Melbourne was literally just going to go on a run and finish this because they finally clicked in. <sighs> Yeah. Anyway. Um, that's, so that's the end. We're gonna it's have made, it's made next week on. really hard to pick, honestly. Yeah, but I just want to finish the podcast on this note. Tom Travojevic is the most awkward motherfucker I've ever seen as a professional sportsman because I just watched his speech just then. And oh, dear God, boy. But... See, this is what I'm impressed by him because in life, you only have to be good at one thing. And he's very good <laughs> as a football player. But every other part of life, he just looks so shy and unsure of himself. And he's so standoffish. And he's doing, he, he looked like he didn't even want to do the speech. Like Matt Burden is standing behind him, looking like the professional he is he looked really good in his tux and he's looking so confident and Trevojevic who shits all over him as a player is just like I don't want to be here put me on a football field I'd rather not be here and you know what I love that about him because it is ridiculously endearing and new for an NRL player to not to be cocky in his kind of position so it's awesome and yes that he does miss doing his coaching because him Jake and um, Ben still coach the Monavale Raiders um, on their days off. So I'm still trying to get it, get around the fact that he won Dallium with a round of spare despite playing 15 games out of 24. That's. Yeah. So, so ridiculous. the thing about it is he scored 35 points 
one below the record of Jonathan Thurston in 2007, I want to say, maybe a bit later than that, um, of 36. He scored, he played seven less games than him. So yeah, I want everyone to sit, sit there and think about that for a second and think about how many points Trevojevic could be on if he played a full season. It's weird to think of his season as a what could have been season despite... Although, if you want to check out the Manly Club uh, awards, he won pretty much everything. And um, Ruben Garrick, uh, Toff Stiffley won it, some awards as well. I'm not going to say which ones because this isn't a, a Manly show and that sounds like it, but popped on it. Um, it's, he's just had a crazy season. Just absolutely yeah. crazy. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Because Dalian doesn't count finals, eh? No. No, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen points. Yeah, fifteen. So how many points did you say you got on? I didn't even look at the end. Thirty-five. Whoa. So you average two point three points a game at Delhi yeah. when you can score three a week. That's nuts. All right. Let's wrap it up there. Um, it's kind of like I don't know. I, I don't think we did a negative take on things. I just think we tried looking at it from a broader perspective rather than um, getting too caught up in the moment and looking, trying to break each game down. It's made next week hard to pick, which is, in my opinion, awesome for a grand final. Um, because, yeah, I, I honestly don't know which way this is going to go. And I don't know who the star players are going to be, but we're going to try and break that down in our grand final preview which we'll probably record thursday night um which will drop friday morning and that i'll be down there on sunday can't wait until then see you um, i'll see you later thank you for tuning in to six again connect with the show on twitter instagram and the six again website all links via the show's bio Be sure to check out Adam's craft beer choice of the week.